Welcome back to the Enduring Churches podcast. I'm Alan here, and Trent's not with me today. He and Dana thought it was more important to go celebrate a 35th anniversary or something like that. So um, they're having a wonderful time, and I'm left here to pick up the pieces, but I'm not alone. I'm grateful to have my pastor uh, with us today, and so I have Dr. Mike Miller here. So Mike, good to have you with us. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Great to be here. Well, um, I am a former corporate jet pilot who's been in the ministry now for 30 years, and uh, well, I've been pastoring for 30 years and uh, served a stint about six years as a professor at New Orleans Seminary in the preaching department and have uh, been serving Central Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Texas now for almost seven years. Yeah, you tell people that I'm your best church member you've ever had, right? Close. I say worst. (laughs) Actually, you're not the worst I've ever had. You're just pretty terrible. (laughs) In In all fairness, Alan is in a different church almost every Sunday doing his job and ministering to pastors and to churches. And uh, so he can't be here every Sunday morning, but he shows up a lot. And uh, I don't know, he tells me he sends his tithe checks. So that, that's what really matters, right? You know, as long as we do that. <laughs> so anyway, well, we wanted to have a conversation today while we were able to have you with us and talk about a kind of a passion of yours in preaching. So when you were doing your, your PhD, you chose a really niche target with preaching, and that was in the area of apologetic preaching. What yeah. do you mean when you talk about apologetic preaching? Well, it actually kind of goes back before that. It goes back, I actually have a D-min as well. And when I was working on my D-min, I was pastoring on the eastern shore of Maryland. And being a guy from Texas, you know, in Texas, you can't throw a rock without hitting a Baptist preacher. And so I moved to Maryland where it is not a churched community. It was very unchurched. And uh, a lot of uh, the, the churches that were there were very theologically liberal. And so I found that what I was having to do is defend just the authority and inspiration of the Scripture a lot. And it was pretty common even to, to you know, profess to be a Christian but not believe in the resurrection of Christ or the virgin birth and all that. And so I would have people come to our church from that background, and I, I just became quickly aware that I needed to confront some of the erroneous beliefs and defend the faith once delivered to the saints. And so... Uh, I got interested, and I had been interested in apologetics ever since I was a new Christian, and that's another long story how I got involved in that. But I got to praying about, well, how do I integrate apologetics into preaching? And uh, looked for books to read, and there were a couple of books out there that that were a little bit helpful, but not really scratching the itch that I was looking for. So when I did my doctor doctor of ministry degree in expository preaching, I narrowed it down to apologetic preaching. So then when I decided to do the PhD in preaching, I also uh, took a took an approach to look at uh, at apologetic preaching even on a, on a different, in a, I won't say a different level, but just a different perspective on it, the PhD from the D-men. So I think a lot of people, when they think about apologetics, <clears throat> they kind of come into all of this and so, well, if I'm going to do an apologetic sermon, mm-hmm. it's not going to relate to a lot of my church. Right. And and so I'm only preaching to a few people. So yeah. you, that's not the a perspective you take with it, though. It's really not. Uh, and in, I've taught numerous apologetic preaching classes on the master's and the doctoral level. And, um, you know, for example, in a, in a D-men seminar, when I assign uh, apologetic or, or, or when I make assignments, uh, 
sometimes I'll have them do an apologetic series, but here's what I say is doing apologetic preaching is not necessarily preaching an apologetic sermon. And for example, I'll do an apologetic sermon sometime on Easter. You know, I'll do an apologetic for the resurrection of Christ, knowing that I have lost people. But it's not just the lost people in the room. Uh, Christians are questioners. They're, they're skeptics. They're doubters who are truly saved people. And, um, but also there are Christians, they're watching the History Channel and the Discovery Channel, and their beliefs are coming into question. And, you know, they're seeing these Bible experts say, well, you know, of course they don't teach you this in the church, but we know this. And, and it's just confusing. And so it helps to strengthen their faith. And so sometimes I will preach a sermon that is apologetic in nature. Um, I did a sermon series recently where I did five weeks. It was called Answers. And I said, well, let's look at some of the biggest objections that, that the unbelieving world has to the Christian faith and talk about how we respond to those. And so I did these apologetic sermons. But by and large, when I'm talking about apologetic preaching, to me, that's the low-hanging fruit doing the apologetic sermons. So uh, the term I use is, is apologetic elements. When I'm preaching a passage, I do believe in expository preaching, preaching a passage of Scripture. Uh, I teach my students, look for the apologetic element. In other words, is there something in this passage that a skeptic in the room would say, wait a minute, I don't know about that. Or is there something in this passage that the believer in the room is going to say, you know, I'm really confused about this, or I've heard this called into question. And, you know, some of the easiest stuff to think about, look, if you're preaching through Genesis, well, you've got to do an apologetic at some point on creation, and you don't have to do a full sermon on it, but you're going to address that if you're preaching through the Gospels. You, you, there are times when you're going to have to do an apologetic for miracles. I wouldn't do an apologetic sermon about miracles, but hey, Jesus is, is working a miracle. Jesus is casting out demons. Wow, I better talk about that. Are demons real? And so I'm just looking for these opportunities in Scripture to answer, you know, some of the, again, the, the most glaring ones, you know, the creation issue, the problem of evil and suffering. I mean, you're preaching through Romans chapter 3. Um, I would definitely talk about evil and suffering and, and how the world has fallen and, and people are all sinful. There's no one who's good. And, um, and of course, it, in our culture, when you have an opportunity to, to address issues of morality, um, those are all through the scripture. And, um, and so, you know, look for, look for an opportunity not to spend 30 minutes doing apologetics, but maybe in your sermon you say, look, while I'm talking about this, some of you may have a question about that, so let me address that. And so I may take three minutes, I may take 10 minutes, but I'm just going to put a little apologetic in there. And then I might also give them, if you're interested more about this, you can email me or here are some suggested resources that you can look into. Yeah, I think it's really beneficial when we give resources to people. And mm -hmm. I think that sometimes we miss that in the pulpit because we kind of want to be the expert and we don't have to be the expert no. on everything. There's a lot of people who are better at stuff than, than we certainly are. Yeah, for sure. So when you're thinking about putting a sermon together and you come to that question, I mean, where do you go with that apologetic? How, how do you kind of put that piecemeal? Where do your resources for that? Um, well, my resources a lot of times for the whatever apologetic argument I'm using come from 30 years of studying apologetics. Um, but I would say that if, you know, like if you're new to the field of apologetics, I would recommend 
some really good good resources. Um, James Sire wrote the classic book, um, The Universe Next Door, and it's basically about just the common worldviews in the world today. And a lot of what I do is worldview apologetics, you know, postmodernism, there is no right or wrong, there is no truth. And, um, and so I think that's a really good starting place. There's also a book called Faith Has Its Reasons, which is a, a, a thicker book and really a good resource book for apologetics by um, Rob Bowman and Kenneth Boa. And then Doug Groteis wrote, wrote the book called, what does he call it, Christian Apologetics. I think is what's good. It's kind of like a textbook, but it's a great resource to have on hand where you can look up, oh, I'm dealing with science, I'm dealing with miracles. Let me look for an apologetic argument here. So a lot of pastors will say, well, I'm not very good at, at, mm-hmm. at apology. Yeah. Why is it so important today, though, that we deal with this issue? That's a really good question. And the reason it's so important today is because of the Internet. And let me give you a, a great example. <laughs> Maybe you won't think this is a great example, but I think it's a great example. The Mormon Church has absolutely no historical data to back up the, back up the claims that the Mormon Bible makes. And people have asked questions for years, but all the scholars at Brigham Young University have said, no, 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 we've got, we've got it all. It's out there. You just don't know what you're talking about. We're the experts and, the, and the, the, the data is out there. Well, along came the internet. So people started asking these questions. Where are these people in the Americas? Why does it say that there are these animals in the Americas when there aren't these animals in America? Why did it say there's these people groups when there's no evidence of these people groups? And and the Mormon church started drowning in this and they finally came out. I have a good friend named James Walker with Watchman Fellowship, which is a cult awareness group who's a former Mormon. And I talked to him just about a year ago and he said, Mike, the Mormon church is bleeding members right now. And I said, why? He said, because of the internet. And he said, so the answer of the Mormon church, they finally got together and said, look, we can't keep dodging these questions. So their solution was to issue a statement saying, yes, there is no evidence to support the Book of Mormon. However, it's true and you just need to believe it. And that's not good enough for people anymore. And so people are fleeing the Mormon church. And a lot of times, frankly, in the Christian church, People have come to us and asked questions, and their pastors have said, look, just don't worry about that. And that's not good enough anymore with all these, you know, popular deconstructionists out there. Oh, well, I learned the Bible wasn't really true. And with the Neil deGrasse Tyson with his cosmos and um, what Bill Nye, the science guy, and they're making fun of Christians. And, And if you were smart, you would know all this. So the people in our pew are being exposed. It's not just the skeptics we're dealing with, it's the people in our pew and their faith is being undermined. And so when I do an apologetic, honestly, Sunday to Sunday, most of the people I'm preaching to are professing Christians. Most, not all, but most. So I am doing an apologetic for the unbeliever, but primarily what I'm trying to do is strengthen the faith of the believer. And you know, if we're in a small town, we're in small town USA here, 15,000 people, under 15,000 people in our town. And they're educated and they have access to the internet. And I think we used to think, and most of our churches are small rural churches, right? We used to think, oh, well, I'm out in the country. Nobody's dealing with that. They're all dealing with it. And I feel like as a pastor, I have a responsibility to equip my people to think well. They don't have to be biblical scholars to do this, but to think well. And 
on Thanksgiving when they have their deconstructing niece show up because she's been at the University of Texas in Austin and having her faith assaulted, and she comes and says, well, look what I've learned. There are really some good, simple answers that I can equip them with to deal with. Yeah, and I think that's what we're talking about so important is that undergirding, you know, the answer. Yes. The answer, well, the Bible just says it. Yeah, that won't work today. And, And let me clarify, that is enough for me. But the reason it's enough for me is because I wrestled with all these issues as a new believer and came to the conclusion that the Bible is authoritative and it's trustworthy. But if somebody's not there yet and you just tell them, well, hey, the Bible says it, you need to believe it. Well, their next question is why? And it's not an invalid question. Yeah, those whys are getting to be very challenging too when you're trying to embrace those in the pulpit yeah. and you're trying to think about the people. But, you know, Trent and I often talk about the importance of exegeting your audience. Yes. And I think that's an area we that's don't That's actually talk about a component enough. of my apologetic preaching classes is you have to figure out who you are. I had a student, and exiting your audience and your culture. I had a student one time in one of my doctor of ministry seminars who lives, I don't remember where he lives in Florida, but it's the headquarters of the Hare Krishnas. So for his assignment, he wrote an apologetic sermon series about how to engage with the Hare Krishnas. Nobody else needs to write that series, but he does. And he's looking at his congregation who's interacting with his people day in and day out. And he knows his culture, he knows his congregation, so he's equipping them. I do not need to come into Central Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Texas and tell them how to interact with Hare Krishnas. Yeah, I've not seen many around here. Haven't seen many around. The um, Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses are around, though. So, you know, what I might do is, uh, you know, I might be preaching, um, well, it might come up about the judgment. It might come up about hell. And I'll say, you know, our, our friends that are Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe there's a hell. So are they right? Is there an eternal conscious torment? And I might need to do a little apologetic there and show them why in the Scripture that's true. Well, and there's a lot of Christians who struggle with that issue too today. More and more as people are kind of saying, well, God is my friend. Yeah, you're right. How could my friend actually send anyone to hell? I think we have all these things that the culture is kind of pressing in, and it affects sometimes good good theology can go back really quickly. And one of the biggest areas is with sexuality because almost everybody in my church knows and loves someone who is gay, lesbian, trans, something. And I mean, when I say knows and loves, they go to school with them. Uh, They work with them. It's their granddaughter. It's their son. And they have a real hard time with that. And and I'm talking about good Bible-believing Christians. But you look at your little granddaughter and the thought of this sweet child being outside the will of God and in danger of eternal condemnation is, is hard for people to swallow. It just is. And we need to understand that and treat it that way. We need to sympathize and empathize when we preach too. I don't. Uh, I, I have a session on why you shouldn't be an angry preacher. And, Boy, that, that's a big one. And so, you know, part of apologetics is, is what we call polemics, where you're actually arguing against what somebody else believes. But we need to do that in a way that's respectful, and we need to do that in a way that actually represents what they actually believe. And so, uh, again, we can show our people the tone and tenor with which they need to interact with others. But like when I preach on homosexuality, you know, I don't use derogatory terms to talk about gay people. Um, I don't speak with anger. 
because I'm well aware I may have some gay people sitting in the room. And so I want to talk about why this is good, why, why God's plan for sexuality is a good plan, and it's the best plan for you. And, and I know and you know you're not finding joy in this. You know it. And, and God offers a better way. I just, I just read in a book, um, you know, a great, a great story about an interview with Roger Staubach, who was a legendary quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys and back in his heyday. And, and at the same time, there was Joe Namath. And Roger Staubach is known as this family man, just a solid, straight-laced guy. And Joe Namath is, is out there just, you know, he's a womanizer and a drunk and partier and all that stuff. And the interviewer says, um, you know, as an All-American, You've got this all-American image. Is that a is that something you embrace, or is it a burden to you? You know, you look at Joe Namath over here and the way he lives, and he said, "I love this because it's like back in the '70s." And Roger Staubach says, "I can tell you that I like sex just as much as Joe Namath. I just have it with one girl, and I'm very happy with that." And you know, can we show a what I call a positive apologetic that hey, this is this is the way God designed you, and therefore it's good. And so I think we need to be positive and encouraging in the apologetic we do. I don't want to bash the Mormons. These are human beings made in the image and likeness of God. And what I want to do is say, invite them to your house. Which, by the way, a guy in our church did that. He actually started a Bible study at a coffee shop with some Mormon missionaries, taking them through the Book of Romans. Of course, the church found out and moved them out of town. But he also had them out to his house. And, um, and they said, this is so unusual. Most people just cuss at us and slam the door in our face. And this guy gained a hearing with them, and they started asking questions to the point they were shipped off somewhere else. So by doing the apologetics, we're modeling how to interact with the people that we know and that we love without alienating them. Yeah, I, lo I love this subject, and it's an area I'd say I wasn't as good at when I was a full-time pastor, mm. as I wish I had been, mm. because I think I was intimidated by the thought mm. of apologetics. But and, it's so and I necessary. think a lot of people are, and they don't have to be. And, you know, I just, I go back to like the earliest apologists like Justin Martyr and Tertullian. I mean, these guys early in the church, and they knew they needed to defend Scripture, and they just, you know, they just tried to show, really, they had this three-pronged approach. Number one, it's, it's philosophically true. In other words, just read the Bible. It makes sense. None of these other religious writings do. They make sense. They're logically consistent. Um, it's historically verifiable. Hey, these things we're telling you about, you can go to these towns. This is where they happened. And the third was that it was morally pure. In other words, if you live according to the Bible, it's good for you. Therefore, trust the Bible. Yeah. You've got these reasons. And that's not complicated. It's it's pretty simple. I'd say learn some basic apologetics, like uh, apologetic arguments, like the um, Kalam cosmological argument. If you've ever listened to William Lane Craig, you know he loves this, and it just basically says um, it's a it's a logical syllogism, which I don't tell people in the pulpit. This is a logical syllogism. I just say, look, here's some things we know to be true. Number one, everything that begins to exist has a cause. Things don't just happen. Number two. The universe began to exist. Number three, therefore, the universe has to have a cause. It has a cause. And the cause of the universe has to be outside the universe. can't be part of the universe because it didn't cause itself. So it has to be uh, immaterial, timeless, spaceless, 
and intelligent. And that's not complicated. No, and it's a, it's an interesting argument too because that's where you get the top tier Christian apologists sitting down with other scientists on yeah. the other side and, and actually engaging each other in debate where both sides are giving and taking in that conversation a little yeah. bit. And, and I actually had somebody say, well, I reject the co cosmological argument. And I said, why is this? Because it's invalid. And I said, why is it invalid? Because everything that, that exists um, does not have to have a cause. I said, oh, so some things can exist without a cause. Yes, give me an example. Well, we haven't found any yet, but we're pretty sure the universe just started to exist without a cause. Okay, well, that's actually not an argument. That's a faith statement. <laughs> That is a faith statement, which uh, where you, you can go back, like Michael Michael Gillian talks about this idea of you've got to answer that question. Most science is based on faith. Yeah, it really is. In fact, I I had a guy get really angry with me because I preached the gospel at a family member's funeral, and and he did not he did not like it, and so he started sending me nasty emails, and I finally got him to agree to meet, and and I always go back to the resurrection of Christ. To me, that's just. It's a very historically verifiable event. And if Jesus really rose from the grave, we have to take seriously everything he said and did. And so um, I got this guy to, uh, I offered to buy him a book. No, I'm not going to take anything purchased with church money. And I, I said, okay, I won't use church money. No, the church pays your salaries. Okay. So anyway, I got him to read some Mike Lacona. He wouldn't read the book, but he read articles by Mike Lacona, who's, who's just like the expert on the resurrection. He's got a 780-page book on the resurrection. And, and so we talked. I went to his house. This guy actually made me pizza. We go to his house. We talked for three hours, and, he, and, he, and he, he started the conversation by saying, I don't believe anything. I only trust evidence. So I just, whatever the evidence says, I don't care what the evidence says. That's what I hold to. So we talked for three hours. At the end of three hours, he says to me, Okay, I will allow that all of the evidence indicates that Jesus rose from the grave. But since he didn't, there has to be another explanation that science hasn't discovered yet. And I said, you know what we call that in my business? Faith. He's making a faith statement. He told me whatever the evidence says. Then he says, the evidence says this. I don't believe it. Well, I think that's where the, the whole apologetic mindset comes from this idea that we have to remember there are people who reject God and that is a faith statement yes because God cannot be proven nor disproven that's right and that's exactly and right all all worldviews are a faith statement that's right everything you do all day long is an act of faith you know you get in your car and drive down the road you're trusting other people to obey the traffic laws you're trusting the traffic lights to work right everything you do every decision you make is because you believe something. And, and I will say this, we need to remember, I wanna just remind you that apologetics doesn't win anybody to Jesus, it's a tool. But we're told in Romans 1 that the gospel is the power of God unto the salvation of all who believe. And it's actually the proclamation of the gospel. So every time I, just, I talk to a skeptic and unbeliever, I always share the gospel. We can have all the arguments and conversations they want, but I'm going to share the gospel because what we're dealing with is a, salvation is a supernatural event. And I would encourage you to don't get frustrated when you lay out these good arguments and people just, well, I just don't believe it. Okay, the God of this age has blinded the minds of people and we're in a spiritual battle. I believe in using every tool I have, but the gospel is the only thing that saves. 
believing the gospel is the only thing that will get somebody saved. And so just remember, you're in a spiritual conversation dealing with a spiritual matter, and you're dependent on the Holy Spirit to do something. And as much as I believe in apologetics, apologetics don't save anybody. The gospel. Jesus saves people. That's a great word. So you said something really interesting, and we can kind of start to, to wrap up with this thought, but you said it's a conversation. Yeah. Do you think we are doing a better job today of, of training pastors to remember that preaching is a conversation, that we preach, that we're talking with people and not preaching at people? No, and I'm going to tell you why. You know, Alan, my conviction about expository preaching. But by its nature, expository preaching tends to be a lecture. When the seeker-sensitive movement came about and the church growth movement of the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, it was all about this dialogical preaching. And unfortunately, what happened is we lost the authority in our preaching with a lot of it. Um, a lot of guys like, you remember Rob Bell who ended up renouncing the faith? His whole thing was, I'm never going to tell people what to do. You know, I'm just going to... I'm not going to give them answers. I'm just going to leave them with questions. And so it became this kind of thing, and I think it really watered down preaching. So what happens with a pendulum? It never settles in the middle. No. So we go to the other side, and we're just going to tell them what they're supposed to believe. And I think there's a renewed, at least in our Baptist world, there's been a renewed emphasis on expository preaching, and I think a lot of it, for lack of a better word, has been too preachy. And this is an error I fell into when I first became so convicted about expository preaching. And, and this is where, you know, you said that you had a weakness in doing the apologetics. This was my weakness is how can I actually draw people in? How can I share a story with them? How can I invite? I mean, obviously, we're not going to open up for several hundred people to chime into a conversation. But how, how can I make this a conversation? And you even see the Apostle Paul doing that in the book of Romans. Some of you are going to say this. Here's my answer. So then some of you are going to question that. Here's my answer. And, and so I'm really glad you brought that up because if we're not inviting people in, we're never going to have the follow-up conversation. Yeah, I think that's really important. That's something that I just see kind of on this fringe that there's this tension right yeah, now that I yeah. feel that's in the, in the preaching field. And I, I think if you will base apologetics, and you're really your whole preaching on the idea that, again, exegete your audience, like you said, your culture. Talk talk with your people. Don't talk at your people. Yeah. And you'll find that your preaching takes on a whole new life and that you have open doors that you've never had before. Yeah, and be transparent. Um, and this is a fine line that you can cross in being too transparent. You know, I don't ever think a preacher should get up and go, man, I struggle with lust every day. You know, <laughs> whoa, all the women in the room just went, what? <laughs> are you looking at me right now? But I'm talking about be yourself. Let them see who you are. Don't use a preacher voice. You should be the same person in the pulpit as out, and which means you need to be approachable. And um, you need to let them know you're on their side. And you're not angry at them. And you're not, and sometimes... You have to give a strong word of rebuke, but if they if they get to know you, that rebuke is received a lot better. Absolutely. You know, you do something that when you get up to preach, you always start with howdy central. Yeah, and, I do. But I think that puts you in the right frame of mind. I think it reminds you you're talking to your people. Yeah. And, and interestingly, for the first time since I've been here, I did not start that way this past Sunday because I was preaching Isaiah 6, and Isaiah 6 is as heavy a passage of Scripture as you can get. 
We didn't show the bumper video. We sang, holy, 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 then behold our God. Then they cleared the stage, put the pulpit in place, and I got up and I said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on his throne. And that's the way I started because I was dealing with something of a very heavy nature and it was more of a preachy sermon. I can't do that every week though. So, you know, I would also say, let the text set the tone. This week, way different, way different sermon. It's a conversation going on between the prophet and the king and they're afraid and this interesting stuff. And, and then this prophecy about the virgin being with a child. And, um, and so you, you've got to let the text, but if you come out just boom every week, just you're going to wear them out. And they're going to say, well, I have a question, but I'm afraid to ask. And I don't want my people to be afraid to ask me questions. I want them to be hounding me with questions. I set up an email address. In fact, if anybody wants to use this, it's askmikemiller at gmail.com. And I get emails all there the time. You go. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's important. Be approachable. Be yourself. Great word, words of advice. And I think that will really help you become a better apologetic preacher. So you've gotten the email address. You know how to reach out to Mike. And you feel free to ask him all your questions about apologetic <laughs> preaching. Yeah. Um, he's, got a, he's got a whole dissertation you can go check out and read about the, about the subject. But and Mike, if you've never read a dissertation, you don't want to start now. <laughs> I'm it's not sure. Re- it's research. It's data. I'm not sure boring. how I feel about writing one at this point in time in my life. But anyway, Mike, <laughs> thanks for joining us. I'm so glad well, that you, you. Uh, were filling Enjoyed in for Trent today, it. and it's good having you with us. And I hope this will help you and your church endure, and we look forward to catching up with you next week.